Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the afternoon. Uh, we actually have like a decent amount of things on the outline. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of league news. We we want to go back in time, see where the Flyers were a year ago, see where we were a year ago. Uh, obviously, we want to reverse retro to 1995, get everyone's thoughts on the jerseys. So let's just get right into it, and let's lead it off with the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. I wasn't ready to go first. Um, so you know how everybody complains about it getting dark early as soon as they switch the clocks? Me. It me. I know. I've never been one of those people because I find it, easy to function even when it's dark outside and also I wake up early so it's nice to have the sun in the morning um you literally just said you go to bed at eight o'clock you don't notice that it's dark out early listen <laughs> I mean it gets dark at like 3 30 in the afternoon yeah it's so it's dark bad at like five but like I have found it harder without like pockets of hockey that we're all supposed to be watching when it's dark outside I don't know for some reason I've been thinking about it a lot and it bothers me Oh, it's definitely, I said last week, I'm finally at the point where, like, I'm missing hockey, and now that, you know, basketball, there's, the draft is tonight, uh, the season's coming back, there's a bunch of news, I'm like, well, that means there should be, there should be hockey news, and, like, the only story I see is, like, this New York Post article we're gonna get into in a minute, uh, it's, it's definitely, like, I miss it being 10 o'clock and not just throwing on a Colorado Avalanche game or something, like, that's what I really miss. I don't even remember what life was like in the before. Like, I don't remember. I don't remember what I was doing this time last November. I have no idea. So well, if you're then telling the 5G... me I was watching hockey, i sure I was. Well, then the 5G chip in your mask meant to brainwash you was working, Steph. Oh, no. Excellent. I think it's just my stroke brain damage, but let's go with that. <laughs> okay. From TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything, to be honest. Um, so I guess I'm just going to talk about how this week is a really, really big week for my fantasy football team. The Redheads, the five and five Redheads (laughs) need to win this week 
to lock down a playoff spot. So that's kind of where most of my focus is right now is winning this fantasy football matchup against a team that I'm battling for one of the final playoff spots in our league. So that's where my head's at. I'm glad. Thanks, Kelly. Really appreciate the support. As biased as I am against redheads, I uh, I did marry one, so I guess I was going to say. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bummed that we that I missed the window for Broad Street Hockey fantasy football. My life is is definitely different without it. Calmer, my blood pressure is normal. I mean, I think it's it was it was fair to wonder if there was actually going to be a football season, and then it was also fair to wonder about like the morality of rooting for a football season to happen. The thing is, is that this is my league that has been a league since 2006, so there was no chance I was not going to do it this year, and we're doing it. And I desperately need to win this week, so root for me, please. Yeah, it wasn't even about morality. It was I didn't know that I had ownership of the league, and by the time people told me that we needed to have a draft. We had like one day. To it draft. was week two. <laughs> <laughs> the so. denizens, the denizens need their uh, need their bread and wine. So I think it's totally cool to root for a football season. I'm pulling for you here, Charlie. Awesome, awesome. I, I will give an Let- update next week. Excellent. Last but certainly not least, Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. Steph, I think my favorite segment we used to do on yelling about sports was uh, no one cares about your fantasy football team, and then we talk about our individual <laughs> fantasy football teams. I do miss yelling about sports. Like, I definitely do. It had its moments. We should we should find some time. and <laughs> I can't even finish that sentence. I was going to say, time. yeah, you two. Nothing but time between the two of you. Yeah, let's, let's should... figure that out. <laughs> I we woke could do up... it at like 2 a.m. We're both up at 2 a.m. That's true. Yeah, we could do that. I woke up at uh, yesterday. Woke up, went out to my car. It had been fucking smashed overnight. I guess <laughs> like uh, hit yikes. and run style, and That's it's still just stuff. sitting in the median now. Like I haven't moved it or got a tote or anything. So. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, filled with time. Uh, so I so- went on vacation last week, and that was cool. And by vacation, I mean I left this house that I've been in <laughs> since March, and went to another house for a week and then i came back to this house and it was good to have a different view for a week we were on um i went with the the league managers for mlb and nfl so it was a very sports centric house but we went to the outer banks and we were a block off the ocean but in between the ocean and our house was a tidal lake where when it flood when it flooded however many decades or centuries ago it just created this lake a block from the ocean which was cool as fuck there was a lot of wildlife there were turtles and there were frogs and there were fish and there were otters 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 the shit oh man but i also believe that there were probably alligators which Scared the fuck out of me because I brought the dog. That's why. I'm anti-gator. I didn't know there were gators in the Carolinas. I mean, they're in Florida. It's just a couple states up. Yeah, there are. There's a whole river called Alligator River. Well, there you go. Oh, my God. So, something today. So, New yeah, it got very dark at night, and we were right on this lake. So I used, I would have to pull my car out just for the lights so that I could take Bear for his walk. <laughs> Um, So anyway, while I was down there, I read a quote from whoever the fuck with the Sixers. 
and it really interrupted my entire vacation because I got real mad about it with this whole new Philadelphia thing <laughs> because Philly is lazy and so are blue collar hockey things. Sure. So we put that on a t-shirt. Go buy our t-shirt. Blue collar hockey things. Because like, who the fuck are you, guy? You new motherfucker coming in saying that hockey is lazy for a blue collar narrative when like It was just like Like it, fuck it all, you, bud. It all stems from uh from Chris Heck of the 76ers basically refusing to give in to the uh, to the black jersey demands of the Allen Iverson era that f- all fans want. They create a jersey, a black jersey, and it has Boathouse Row on it because so obviously weird. who doesn't have a memory of going out on Boathouse Row? He was like, we need to w- represent the nightlife. So obviously nothing shines b- brighter at night than Boathouse Row. I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense, but you do you. Yeah, uh-huh. let me tell you about Boathouse Row. Number one, I went to a party there when I was in college, and I was really nervous that someone was going to get fucking hepatitis from falling in that river. <laughs> Number two, my memories of Boathouse Row is sitting in traffic on 76 in both directions. Like, fuck you. No one thinks positively about Boathouse Row. Nobody cares about it. It's like midnight. All. It's all lit up, and somehow I'm sitting in traffic at 12.15. Like, what the fuck? It's, like, barely in the city. Yeah. Like, fuck. Fuck this guy. I'm so mad about him in general. And that's uh, that kind of sets up my point. It's uh, something I have to credit to. I believe Charlie tweeted it. Uh, by virtue of basically not fucking anything up, the Flyers have the best front office in the city. <laughs> they're, not, they're not a bottom five team like the Eagles. They're not openly insulting like three quarters of their fan base like the Sixers. And they're not refusing to like hire key members of the front office because the owner can't work Zoom. So like, boom. Oh my God. <laughs> boom, the Philadelphia Flyers, best front office in the city. That's and right, before baby. I hear from any union fans, literally nobody cares. Well, didn't they just win a championship? <laughs> Thank you. Maybe. They did. No, like I, that that annoys the hell out of me. Like, look, I get it, and like I'm not a soccer hater. I, I follow the Prem to a degree, <laughs> but like, let's be realistic here, people. As much as you love the Union, they're not a Big Four team. They're not. Just accept it. They're not. Well, that's because there's only four Big Four teams, and like, like they just don't have that big of a fan base. I'm sorry, no. maybe they'll get there eventually. They're not there yet. They play in Chester. I was gonna say they play in Chester. So yeah, that's the other thing. They don't really play here. And, like, and this isn't, like, oh, hockey's so much better. I don't think hockey, the sport of hockey, belongs in the same conversation as football, basketball, and fucking uh, baseball. Like, it's a niche sport. I, I don't have a problem admitting that. But, like, to ask me about the wings or the union, like, no one cares, man. Anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah, fuck this guy. And... Like, why did you even have to say hockey? Like, why couldn't you have just talked down to blue-collar whatever without being, like, blue-collar hockey? Like, fuck you. Fuck you. Oh, they Get have my just, name out of your mouth, sir. They have so much contempt for their landlords, it's unbelievable. Which I respect, but it's... Well, that it's, part I get it. Yeah. It really just comes down to that. Like, they hate hockey because they're, like, beholden to the hockey team. Fuck them. And fuck the Sixers, too. The whole thing, from top to bottom. (laughs) Oh, no, they're getting James Harden. Things are looking up. Are they? I don't know. No. Probably not. No. (laughs) 
All right, so uh, about this start of the season that the NHL is planning, it still looks like they're targeting January 1st. But then, did anyone get a chance to read this New York Post article? I read no. a little bit of it, and it was kind of infuriating because uh, it's, you know, ownership trying to take more money from the players because they're so poor. Yeah. How will they survive? I don't know. Um, but it's, I, I find it interesting because, like, they just negotiated a CBA like five minutes ago that was kind of integral to getting everything started again. And now they're trying to change the terms of that CBA in order to get the players to defer more money into the escrow pot, which like if I'm a player's union, I'm telling you to go fuck yourself because we just had this negotiation and you agreed to a number and now we're moving forward. But one assumes that the NHL Players Association will just give them their money and we'll get started. So, yeah, the this is very reminiscent of the debate that Major League Baseball had with its players when they were trying to set up their season, which was we agreed to something and now like two months later we're trying to say no, we can't do what we already agreed to. We have to take more from you. So, like in, in essence, it's ridiculous, and I'm always going to fall on the side of the players here who while wealthy, are far less wealthy than the owners who are mm -hmm. insanely wealthy. Um, that said, the one thing that does, like, kind of complicate this is that, like, there's a 50-50 revenue split. That's the big thing, is, like, they've agreed to a 50-50 revenue split. That's, that's part of the way that this sport works. So we're not talking necessarily about, like, the owners taking more money over the long term. It's more a matter of, like, the timing of it because at some yeah. like, like at some point they're gonna have to get back to 50 50 like whether it's in two years whether it's in six years whether it's in 10 <laughs> years like this is gonna end up working out to equal 50 50 like the players are gonna have to give back some of their money eventually that's where the escrow comes in so this is more a matter of like do we do it now or do we push it down the road so it's a little bit different that said i'm still on board with the players like if you didn't like the deal that you agree to owners don't agree to the deal in the first place but it's a little bit different because like this money is going to have to be you know this money is going to have to be distributed evenly at some point this is more a matter of the owners trying to help themselves out in the short term which sucks but like this is this is a conversation that's going to have to be had eventually they're just having it now so what the NHL is seeking, the owners are seeking, is uh, they've already agreed upon, and it was, yeah, just four months ago, escrow to be set at 20%. 20% of every player's check is put aside, and at the end of the year, they look at the revenue, they cook the books, and say, oh, actually, rev uh, the revenue split isn't 50-50 uh, because you made too much. Give us some of that 20%. We get it now. You don't, even though it's your money. Uh, and then there was also a 10% deferral. Every player defers 10%, and that that gets paid back over the next three, four years. Like, it's just something they kick the can down the road. The NHL is seeking another 13% deferral. So 20% escrow and 23% deferral. So players are making, like, basically half of their contracts. Like, what, 47% uh, of their contracts, something like that? Like, it, it just... They didn't. Uh, they didn't have any sort of. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There was no uh, proration of the contracts. The, the the players are happy with that, but it looks like they're going to be asked to at least set aside like 43 percent of their contracts for the upcoming season. 
man, like when I read stuff like this, I just start thinking, I start getting pessimistic about the season. It's, I just, I would be pessimistic if not for the fact that the NHLPA always rolls over on these kinds of things. Like yeah. always, always, always. They're an absolutely garbage union from the standpoint of actually looking out for the best interest financially of their union members. But um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of expect that that's what's going to happen. Like, like maybe they'll come out with a statement that's like, we're really angry about this. We don't like this at all. And then they'll just do it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, I guess it's, it's always possible that, there isn't a season, but it's just everything you're hearing is that both sides have real urgency in terms of having a season this year. So like, there's nothing, there's nothing that I've heard from, you know, from people I've talked to in the game. And then also like all of the plugged in national reporters that leads me to believe that they're not going to come to some sort of agreement. This to me is just the owners trying to squeeze a little bit more out of the players, which sucks, but like they're rich people. It's what they do. That's and the article says like, this is it's unclear whether this is an ultimatum or just a, another negotiating tactic and okay if they're just trying to negotiate and figure this thing out because they have no idea what revenue is going to be this year i get it i just man I, if both sides really dig in i can i can see it getting at least delayed like like charlie said this is the split is going to have to get back to 50-50 at some point you know what else is going to have to get back to normal their schedule uh if it gets pushed back <clears throat> any amount of time, like I just don't see the time to fit in the season. And then everyone just goes, ah, we'll start it up in October and get back on a normal schedule. Like that's what, um, that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. I did read someplace. I don't remember if it was in that article or if it was somewhere else that I read it, that um, there are a fair number of franchises that would lose more money playing a, a season than they would just not doing it, um, which does kind of put it a little bit more in that like ultimatum territory where it's like, you're going to give me more money or we're just not going to play because I don't give a shit anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to go off on a whole thing here, but it's just, you know what? Revenues are going to be down because of this whole pandemic thing. So you might have to take a little bit of a hit. You're a billionaire. You'll be fine. Figure it the fuck out and get your shit going again. Well, it's, it's not only because of the pandemic. It's because, um, I was going to call him Roger Goodell. That's not his name. Gary Bettman has just made a lot of really bad business decisions for the NHL. Even when they return to play, they're so heavily dependent on ticket sales mm -hmm. because their TV contracts are garbage. Like it's, there's just, there's a lot and it's not, it's not. And their TV the contracts are garbage because they sat out a whole year yep. and, you know, we're willing to sit out too because like Kelly said, there are teams who, if they're a little cash strapped, like would lose less money just by not playing. Like that was the threat. That's why they came back and agreed to the salary cap was because all the owners were like, we'll sit out two years. We don't give a shit. And <laughs> then, you know, we get what we get. So I, I just, I'm afraid of both sides digging in on this stuff. Yeah, I just don't, I, I don't okay. think it's going to happen. I mean, I, I, I sort of agree <laughs> with Kelly that if anybody's going to give it, it'll probably be the NHLPA or maybe the owners are just, this is just like a, a gambit and they're going to, they'll, they'll cave eventually because, you know, the, the return to play agreement ended up being like decently fair. I mean, like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a total, you know, 
like the owner the owners didn't dominate the negotiations to the degree that I expected them to. They didn't get every single thing they wanted, and I sort of expected that was going to happen. So maybe the same thing happens here. I guess we'll see. Um, but I, I still do think there's there's going to be a season. I'm not like terribly concerned. The one thing that is interesting though is that like this might come together quite quickly because it seems like the owners and the players really want to get this going in early January. And there's an understanding that like if that's going to happen they pretty much need to come to an agreement on how this is going to work by like the end of November at the absolute latest. And it's already November 18th. So, I mean, we're talking about like the next, you know, seven to 10 days being absolutely huge in terms of figuring out how this is going to work. Yeah. Like if you look at the proposed timeline, training camps start in a month. Yeah. Like this thing needs to come together and the teams that weren't in the bubble like, their training camp's starting, like, three weeks, two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, this this all has to get moving. So, like Charlie said, if you guys aren't as concerned, then I'm less concerned uh, about the whole thing. So, I, last night, went back and listened to some old episodes because, like Kelly said, I'm, I'm missing hockey. And I was like, wow, a year ago, we were in it. Like... Everything was happening. The season was going on. <laughs> it was in full swing. Uh, it's it, you know it's mid November. They're they're getting going now. So I wanted to see where we all were a year ago and what we think now. Uh, so I want to, uh, as Heath Ledger said, damn it, let's wind the clocks back a year. Uh, that was a lot of setup just to just to be able to get to my phone and play that, uh, but it was well worth it. Uh, so on this day, and it's it's October or Jesus November eighteenth, uh, the Flyers were actually off. So way to go, Bill! Great premise, uh, but they were in the midst of uh, they were in the midst of one of their worst stretches of the season. They went o two and two. They had three different four game losing streaks. This was the second of the three, uh, and this one was kind of. It was an early display of what the team could look like when things go wrong. They had a 2-1 shootout loss, a 2-1 regulation loss at Ottawa, a 4-3 shootout loss, and a 5-2 loss at Florida. Like, they averaged 1.75 goals. That's in 250 minutes of hockey. They scored seven times. Just thinking about that sort of stretch and looking at the way the season ended... How do they avoid stretches like this in the upcoming season? Like, dry spells that, okay, four games, whatever. But I expect this division to be very tight, and that could cost you home ice. That could cost you the division title, seeding. How do they get past these little blips in an otherwise excellent season? Super interesting that the problem at the start, lack of scoring, is the exact same problem that plagued them at the end. Like, that's, that's super interesting because they started to get so good and then they couldn't score a goal to save their lives in the playoffs. So it was kind of like a full circle. I didn't, it didn't occur to me that they were having trouble scoring at the beginning and the end because the beginning of last season might as well have been 75 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's interesting. And I, I wonder if, if that's a thing that we worry about. I don't know. Probably not. Well, if I remember correctly about this run, and this, this maybe is a uh, is your answer as to how they can avoid these types of problems in the in the you know in the future and in, in the upcoming season. If I remember correctly about this run, they uh, the Florida game that you cite here, the November nineteenth game, I believe that was Morgan Frost's first NHL game. 
Yes. I believe after that Islanders game, which they I think they blew a three nothing lead in that game. They had that game like on lockdown and they blew it late, and then they yep. lost in the shootout. Then they called up Morgan Frost, and the, the the Florida game didn't go well, but eventually they started scoring. And a big part of that was that they finally had a third line because they had a third line center, and I think that's going to be key this year. I really think that's the point that you know a lot of the Flyers season is going to hinge on is. Can they roll three scoring lines? And if they can roll three scoring lines, they should be fine. Now, will they be able to? That's the big question because that's a matter of either can Nolan Patrick play or can Morgan Frost be an above-average NHL forward? Because those are your two solutions. They're internal solutions and they're plausible (laughs) solutions, but they're still uncertainties because we have no idea if Nolan Patrick is going to be ready or not. The Flyers seem hopeful, but we don't know for sure. And then you have Morgan Frost who looks good at times. And I think he's ready. The Flyers organization seems more skeptical, but like if you can solve that third line center problem, that goes in my mind a long way towards solving the scoring problem. Because as Kelly said, it was a problem in the playoffs in large part because the Flyers didn't have a third scoring line. Like, this is the biggest problem, and that problem gets solved if you have a 3C. So, fingers crossed they have a 3C. To be fair, they didn't have a first scoring line in the playoffs either. But <laughs> I mean, fair. I know what you're saying. They had guys whose job that was, certainly. <laughs> no, it's, uh, but to your point, Charlie, it's much further down in the outline when I get into, like, things we actually said on the show. But I said on the show, like... Hey, at some point, we've just got to figure out this. Uh, they, we've got to figure out the, the issue at center, and we need a third line and everything. And 12 months later, here we are. We think we have the solution, but I haven't seen these fucking guys play. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it, it's a problem that, and, and it's a tough, you're in a tough spot if you're Chuck Fletcher and the Flyers, because. I mean, everybody knows the third line center, aside from maybe, you know, first pair right-handed defenseman with the retirement of Matt Niskanen, but you're hoping that Phil Myers maybe can fill that. Um, Everybody knows third-line center is the big hole on this team, but it's hard to justify giving up assets or taking on a big contract to do it when you have a former second overall pick and your top prospect both play center and both could very easily fill that role. So it's like, you know, you go out and you give $5 million to Jean-Gabriel Pajot and then Nolan Patrick's fine, and it's like, well, shit, now what do we do? So, like, I understand why the Flyers are in a tough spot, but it doesn't make it... It, it doesn't mean the problem isn't still there. It's just that the Flyers are in a tough spot and you're crossing your fingers and hoping one or both of these guys steps up and takes on the role and fills the biggest weakness they have on the roster. Yeah, and to that point, like... They can always fill that role later. If it turns out Nolan Patrick isn't that good, Morgan Frost isn't that good, they can then go add somebody. So it's like, if you do it ahead of time, and like like Charlie said, and all those guys are fine, well, okay, now we're just paying a guy five million bucks to like be a third-line winger, with, and he's blocking somebody, or... We can just wait to see how it goes. So yeah, I like I'm not pessimistic about that. I think they do figure it out. It's just funny that and the way the calendar works, it just so happens like it's the off season now. But 12 months ago, we were having this exact same discussion. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> I hate it. Thanks. <laughs> another another point I'll make about this part of the season last year, um, this mid November stage that really shouldn't be an issue next year. You know, you never know. Maybe, you know, 
teams struggle for random reasons, injuries happen, stuff like that. But, like, this was still the part of the year where the Flyers were very clearly trying to figure out Elaine Vigneault's system. And presumably that won't repeat next year because they will have already figured out Elaine Vigneault's system. Like, we knew there were going to be growing pains in the first year of, of AV in terms of learning what to do, what not to do, may having it become second nature. Well, it's year two. This stuff should be second nature now. now. Hopefully it is. We'll see how it plays out. But that's a problem that really shouldn't recur. Yeah, like, on this episode, we're all kind of worried about Jake and then, like, from this episode on, he's very good. And we're going to get into some Jake because he was were a... We all, were we all worried about Jake? We were all a little concerned. You, I don't believe you were on this one, Steph. I think this is the one you weren't on. Oh. Okay, or good. maybe this one was me, Steph, and Kel. I can't remember. Who can say? Uh, <laughs> I, I listened to three episodes last night. This is the one I chose to talk about. But, yeah, and, like... While I said the Flyers had three, four-game losing streaks last year, this was the only one that you can't just explain away. Like, the first one, it like came back from the Europe uh, trip mm. and everything. They're playing all this catch-up. <laughs> I thought you were just going to leave. It came back from the Europe. G- came back from the, from Europe, the Europe trip. <laughs> they come back from the Europe trip, and then they go out to Western Canada, like, immediately. Like, it was a fucking... It was ridiculous. And then, of course, the Disney on Ice trip, you know, they lose f- uh, five out of six. It was just horrendous. This one in the middle was kind of the, ah, uh, okay, this, is the, this was their ugliest stretch of hockey outside of all the things that went wrong in December, basically, is what I'm saying. And they did turn it around, and the guys we were worried about basically figured it out. Uh, I want to get into things we talked about on the episode uh, specifically. Like I said, Jake Voracek, a big topic. But the top topic, top topic, top topic, was Phil Myers because I forgot, like in my head, Phil joined the team like for the second game of the season against the Devils because we all kind of said that's what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But no, in fact, no, he didn't. Phil Myers joined the team for the eleventh game of the season, and uh, uh, gee, that just blew me away right there. Like there was a world in which Phil Myers wasn't a major contributor on this team. Like, he became a top-four defenseman almost immediately. (laughs) And it was like he wasn't on the team for the first ten games. That blew me away. Did you remember that? Because I sure as shit didn't. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember anything from then. But it is – I don't remember what – wasn't it – wasn't there a cap thing that they couldn't bring him up? Right away. There was a cap thing, and then the travel, and it was yeah. like he just didn't make the team. But we all assumed he was just going to be on the team when they got back. Hmm. And I guess because we said that so much, I forgot that's not actually what happened. Yeah, so the only reason why I do remember this is because I just did a Phil Myers season review article that looked at all this stuff. So I, I this is all very ah. fresh in my head. But no, it, it it's really interesting one thing that I found fascinating about the way that fans have kind of retconned Phil Myers' 2019-2020 season is that you talk to Flyers fans and everybody seems to remember last season as being this great rookie year for Phil Myers. It was like, oh yeah, he was great. He's going to be awesome. Next year he's going to step into the top pair. And like, I'm not saying it wasn't good, but it was a lot more up and down than a lot of people seem to remember. Like, he didn't make the team. And yes, there was there was cap concerns. There was the Andy Walensky thing where they couldn't send him down because he was hurt. There was the Nolan Patrick thing. They didn't want to go into long-term IR. So there were constraints. But 
one of the reasons why he didn't make the team is because he really didn't have that great of a camp. And going into game one, Robert Haig beat him out for the sixth yeah. defenseman job. Like, that's why he stayed down. It wasn't all because of the cap. If Phil Myers would have had a killer camp, they would have found a way to keep him. He just didn't have a killer camp. He stays down all throughout October, comes up in November, and he's, like, good-ish, but he's he's sporadic. He has good games. He has bad games. He gets better in December, but he still ends up kind of in a third pair rotation with Haig because it was the third pair was basically Shane Goss's pair was the five. And then the number six was like Myers would get two games and Haig would get a game. Then Myers would get a game. Then Haig would get two games. And then everybody starts getting hurt. Braun gets hurt in January. Ghost, Ghost has knee surgery. And then Myers is in the top four. And the funny part about that is that like it started out ugly like i remember having a debate with somebody on twitter in early january i vividly remember this because i was i was going out to dinner with uh with steph and a few other friends um and i was sitting at a bar before the dinner waiting for them to show up and i was like having conversations on twitter and one of my followers i think hold it was, on uh, hold on i was first i was at the bar first that was it i was I, not late this time i was at another bar so Thank you for sorting. all right fine I, but, I just needed to be very clear. I was not late. Steph, who hasn't been looking at us for like five minutes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm working. I was not late. I was not late. Let me make that clear. On the, the rare occasion, Steph was not late. But I Thank think it was, uh, it was Mikey Orange and Black. And he was basically saying that like he had serious concerns that Phil Myers just didn't have the hockey IQ to be a good NHL defenseman. And like that was a legitimate thing. Like, people were talking about that in early January. And it wasn't like, you know, he was on an island. There were other people like, yeah, you know, he's making these insanely dumb mistakes, and I'm just worried that he just, you know, he's obviously this amazing physical talent, but you're worried that he just doesn't have the instincts to be a true impact guy. And then around mid to late January, it started to click. And then the final two months of the year, he was great. And it seems like that's all we remember. Yeah. is those final, like, two months when Phil Myers looked like a bona fide top four defenseman at the same time as the team was playing really well. But, like, it wasn't all great for Myers. And I think the hope is that that final two months is just exactly what he's going to do all next season. But, like, there might be some growing pains with this kid. It wasn't like his rookie year was perfect. And, yeah, I, I will say, like, and this is a little bit, like, you know, results-oriented confirmation bias sort of thing. They went 33-12-5 in the regular season with Myers in the lineup. Like like I said, he came up late. He suffers an injury near the end of the year. But when he was in there, they were a very good team. Uh, and he did come up and score right away. Like, he played two, ga- two scoreless games. And then he went on a four-game point streak, three-game goal streak. But to get into some of the inconsistency Charlie talked about, he scored three goals in his first, you know, five, six games, whatever. And then he ended the season with four goals. Like, it was, he scored 75% of his regular season goals and 25% of his full season points in his first six games. So, with those inconsistencies, like, how good do you actually think Myers can be? What sort of step do you expect him to take this upcoming season? I mean, I think that it's very reasonable to expect that at the end of the day, Myers is going to be an extremely good second pair defenseman. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about him being put into the number two role. Like that's a lot for 
any defenseman and he's still incredibly young and as we saw with him and Travis Sanheim like he's still kind of figuring it out um so yeah I mean I expect him to do well this season with what with what we assume is going to be the number two defenseman role um but I do also think that he's probably going to make some like huge glaring errors that will piss a lot of people off um, just on account of the fact that a he's very young, and b I'm not sure if he is a top pair defenseman. Like I'm not sure if that's his ceiling. That might be reaching a little bit. I definitely remember him being shaky and inconsistent last season. That's my I think I talked about it a lot. Like that's my impression of Phil Myers, and and yeah, he's going to be good one day, but we're not quite there yet not that he's bad he's just still very green yeah like we're talking about him paired with Provorov and it's a lot of projection but like it's that's all it is I I guess is what like yeah I would love to see him he looks like he has the tools to do it but hey man it's I just like it's I don't putting know a lot on him it's definitely yeah, putting a lot on that's him. the best situation to pair him with Provorov I don't know what the answer is, and I don't think the Flyers do either, but I just don't think that that's the best for him or his development. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Like, I think in an ideal world, and I think this was what they were hoping, was that you have the one more year Niskanen, and Myers gets a full year on that second pair with Travis Sanheim and really builds up his confidence, really starts to figure things out, and becomes a, you know, a nightly impact defenseman. And then... Niskanen's gone, and then Myers moves up. I think that was always the plan. Well, now it has to be accelerated because Niskanen's gone. And, like, is is Myers as the number two an ideal scenario? No, it's not. But I don't know what's better. Like, that's the thing. I, there is no ideal answer. And that's what yeah. happened when you lose Niskanen. You don't have, like, if, if Myers isn't your number two, okay, I guess you could use Sanheim but then he's playing his offside and he wasn't even all that good with Provorov in the 2018 or 2019 season when that was the top pair. Like the team wasn't very good. That pair wasn't great. It was passable, but it wasn't great. Ghost is coming off two straight down years. Justin Braun is Justin Braun. Like Eric Gustafson is kind of a defensive mess, but I guess you could try it. Like there's, (laughs) there's options, but none of them are that good. So it's not that like, putting Phil Myers up on the top pair and using him as the number two is an ideal solution. It's just that it might be the best of a lot of not ideal solutions. All right. Let me ask this and then we can take a break and then get back into it. Um, Ivan Provorov, we've talked, we've all kind of said, okay, Niskanen's gone. It's no longer, we have a veteran to hold your hand. Ivan Provorov has played, uh, more hockey than any of these blue liners except uh, except uh, Justin Braun at this point. Like, is, is Provorov now, and we expect him to take a step, like maybe he's not one of the top 20 defensemen right now, but at the end of the year we kind of are expecting him to be in that conversation. Is, is Provorov at the point where we can be like, you're the guy and you have to help bring Myers along? Do we think he's that good? I don't know i mean he needs to be yeah but i don't i don't know if he is i get a lot of shit on twitter from people that listen to this podcast because i say things like provorov needs to not be a baby with a grown man holding his hand and taking him along um it's it's been several years of him having that and it was good for his development but eventually he has to be the guy if he's going to be the guy and you know 
by circumstance, this is the year that he has to be the guy. He has to do it. Like, that's just the end of it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kelly. Like, when you say that, it's not even an indictment of... No, it's not. ...of Provorov. It's, like, how they're treating him. Right. Like, oh, well, we need... It's not a negative. Like, I'm not saying Provorov sucks and... Or I, I don't even know why people get mad about it. I'm just saying that, like, you can't expect to have a Matt Niskanen alongside Ivan Provorov forever to yeah. allow him to be a number one overall defenseman. At some point, he has to be the guy if we're expecting him to be the guy. And because Matt Niskanen is not there anymore and they don't have a guy that fills that role, it's time for him to put on his big boy pants and be the guy. If he can't do that, <laughs> I mean, it's it's not ideal for the Flyers if – after all of this time, like it's it's not like he's a rookie. Like he's been here for a while now. Like he's got to at some point turn the corner and be the guy. And this is the year that he's got to do it. I, I just I don't think it's unreasonable to have that expectation of a professional hockey player. I don't think it is either, and I don't think that you're necessarily saying that he can't do it. No, I'm saying he needs to. But and the Flyers just, need God, to put him in position to. So young, like we forget because he's been around forever. And he's so good. He's still so young. That's the only thing I have to add to this, is Ivan Provorov is still a baby. Yeah, he turns 24, I believe, in January. He's still so young. He's 23 so years old. I mean, how old are the defensemen on the Dallas Stars that everyone is constantly talking about being outstanding? They're like 12 years old. Well, I mean, I, Klingberg, Klingberg's what? Like, he's probably like 27-ish, right? I was going to say like 28, yeah. Haskinen's young, really yeah. young. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Klingberg's a veteran. I'm just saying that I don't— If Ivan Provorov fails to step up this season, in my mind, that's not a, well, the Flyers should have gotten him another Matt Niskanen to hold his hand for another year. That is, in my mind— And this isn't to say that he's bad and that he won't ever be able to do it. But in my mind, if he can't see this as an opportunity to step up and be the guy, if he can't actually get there, it's a little bit like, come on, dude, like get, get it together. Like, no, it's it's definitely, it's definitely time for him to take the next step. And it is like both Provorov and Myers are, I believe, turning 24 in January. Like that is... That is freaking insane. Like that's oh, yeah, our people top. People forget that Phil Myers is older than Ivan Provorov. Like that's our that's our top D pair right there. Like it's it's pretty nuts. Uh, Charlie, what do you think about Provorov's ability to to help bring Myers along at this point? I think it's possible, and I think definitely you saw last year Provorov taking a bit more of a leadership role. Like I do think, I, I don't think it's it's an it's an indictment or a criticism of Provorov to say that he benefited from Niskanen, Niskanen's presence, but I, in the sense that I think he learned a lot. And what he needs to do, I don't think, I'm just saying he learned a lot on the ice. I think he learned a lot off the ice in terms of, you know, how to, you know, be be a pro. Not that he didn't already know, but, like, just, just how to be that steady veteran off the ice, you know, be that guy in the locker room that people look to. I think he was paying attention to the way Niskanen operated, and Niskanen was a, was a pro's pro. And I think that's going to um, it's going to pay dividends. The thing is, as Kelly said, it has to pay dividends this year. Like you got your one year because th- the one thing I will say as well is that this was the first year that Provorov really had that guy. Like if you look at the guys he played with, like f- he played with friggin' Andrew McDonald, who like yeah. God, we we don't want him copying Andrew McDonald. Then he played with Ghost, and like Ghost is Ghost. You know that was a great year, but like Ghost is 
has his own inconsistency problems, yeah. obviously. So, like, <laughs> oh, that's he's not... consistent now. <laughs> Fair. Consistently like... fucking bad. <laughs> oh, come on. But, uh, uh, what? He was good? <laughs> but, like, so he had Ghost. Then he had Sanheim, who also is learning on the fly. And then he had Niskanen. So this was the year where I hope that he took what he learned from playing with Matt Niskanen, from finally getting that guy for a year, and he can take that and then use that to basically be almost like a younger Niskanen next year. All right. I dig it. Uh, we're going to get back into a little bit of uh, Myers and Sanheim in a second. But first, we got to pay them bills. So just, uh, so just hang on through this commercial break. I promise it won't be too long. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, fam, that wasn't too hard now, was it, right? Like, come on. It's pretty easy. Listen to the goddamn commercials. It's not difficult. All right, so Myers and Sanheim, we're talking about Myers stepping up to that, uh, to that, to that top pair with Ivan Provorov, potentially. And we're all, we've all had different levels of reluctance to break up a Myers and Sanheim duo because we see the freaking potential. And some of that potential you saw in their, uh, in their advanced numbers a bit during the regular season. Corsi 4 was good. They had a positive uh, number of the expected goals. De- real good number of the scoring chances. Uh, PDO was was decent, so you know they weren't getting bailed out by goaltending a ton. It looked like they were pretty good. They were coming together, especially in that late part of the season before Myers got hurt. But like nothing, nothing stupendous. And then the playoffs happened, and man, these numbers are just, they're fucking ugly. Like, we have numbers in the low 40s here in terms of expected goals and scoring chance percentage and stuff like that. I was, I wasn't as, I knew that those were bad, but I wasn't as blown away by the numbers as I thought I was going to be in the regular season. Is it better if they break these two up, considering like they both struggle with inconsistency? They're both like these athletic freaks who need reining in and need a little bit of help. Like, could it be that I, we just talked about maybe Provorov helps bring along Myers, and then we've we've talked about a Sanheim Braun duo. They were good together. That's a good veteran to pair him with, even if it's in limited ice time. Could they possibly be better apart? I think the answer is yes. I think it's possible. I don't know why we would want to try that uh, because they've really developed most of their careers together. They've been together really from when they were with the Phantoms. It's possible. I am not opposed other than I just hate the idea of Justin Braun anywhere on the ice. I I've, I made a face. I just can't handle Justin Braun. Um, I love him on the penalty kill. Sure. You know who I love on the penalty kill? Sam Moran. Oops. Well, oh Oops. 
Yeah, and if he ever plays, I'll be real happy for him. But that's like you that's like saying, you know who I'd love on the penalty kill? Bill Matz. Like I think those things are equally. <laughs> I don't like, know whether I would I mean, love would Bill Matz on the penalty kill. <laughs> I was an excellent penalty killer. I will block any shot. I believe that. I can see I that. actually believe that too, yeah. So what's interesting is looking at these numbers from the regular season, like they this were good. Is why, this is why numbers are, are good, because in my mind, that pair should not be broken up because they were so good together. But they were just, like, fine. They're decent. Yeah, they were fine. Um, I, I don't think it can hurt to try to see what happens. And, I mean, they're pretty much going to have to just because of the circumstances that they're in. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, that, I think that I'll just speak for me. I think what I get caught up in with the Sanheim Myers thing is the potential for how good it could be if it worked perfectly every single night. Yeah. Um, will they ever get there? I don't know, but I think that's kind of like what I want to happen is that I want them to be stuck together to work through the problems and then reach the potential that I have decided in my head that they have. Um, and I don't know if that's realistic. And the numbers kind of suggest that they were just okay together. They were, like, not bad, but they were not outstanding. So, I mean, it, it's certainly not going to hurt to break them up for a little while and see what happens. And then if it turns to shit, you put them back together. It's not a big deal. Yeah, so I'll start this out by saying I don't think the Flyers should necessarily be wedded to any of their pairings, especially coming into to the 2020-2021 season, or I guess the 2021 season, because they're not actually going to play at all in 2020. Um, but anyway, I don't think they should be wedded to any of them because they just don't have any pairs that I think are like... Like, the pro roughness can impair was a write it in ink. That's your first pair. Well, that's gone. So now everything's in a state of, in a state of flux, and you got to figure out what works and what doesn't. So don't be wedded to any pairs. That said, and I'm going to be, you know, go against my nature here. I don't think the numbers really do a perfect job of explaining just how good they were together because, <gasps> and here's, here's why. So they were really, I, I kind of look at it, the, 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 the Sanheim Myers pairing, I look at it being they're like three separate segments of the season. They were together for a good bit of time right after Myers got called up and they weren't that good, but that was Myers's first real extended time in the NHL that season he was clearly just trying to figure things out then they get put back together when everybody starts getting hurt in January and they were a mess for like a week and the numbers were awful because they were just getting bullied by everybody and then for the final two months of the year they were objectively speaking great and the numbers will bear that out they were great from like mid-January until the pause and then they were also great in the island, in, not in the island, in the Canadian series. They were the Flyers' best pairing in the Canadian series by far. And then they sucked against the Islanders. So, like, you're basically, when you look at these numbers, you're basically saying that, like, from pretty much from January, mid-January through the end of the year, they were great. And that's, like, the last thing we saw of them in the regular season. And they carry that over up until the Islanders series, which, to me, was just an example of the Islanders played a very classic brand of playoff hockey. You know, very physical, very rough and tumble, you know, fighting for every inch. And I just don't think guys like Sanheim and Myers were necessarily used to that yet. So I don't look at that series as like a harbinger of what's to come with this pair i look at that as they got an education in playoff hockey and they'll be better for it in the long term i think that's a good pair now i also think they should break it up because i think myers is the best option to put on the top pair without niskanen but like 
I'm doing that because, as I said, I think it's the best out of a lot of bad options. I'm not doing that because I think that, like, secretly the Sanheim Myers pair isn't as good as we think it is. I think it's a very good pair. Okay. Um, game 10 of whenever this next season starts is Phil Myers the top pair defenseman next to Ivan Provorov? Yes. All right. There you go. All right. I'll, I'll go with Charlie because I like it. I don't know, I, Charlie, uh, but I like it a lot. <laughs> I'm going to say no. Who is and it? And I, I don't have that answer. I knew that you were going to ask the follow-up, <laughs> and I don't, I don't have the answer. Game 10, I'm going to say Shane Goss is bare. I was oh, about to ask what percentage fuck. of you thinks it's going to be ghosts. Well, only because <laughs> if they start struggling, he's a veteran and they're gonna, just going to knock down the younger players. I, again, I've got no confidence in this, but because Bill asked the follow-up, as Bill is wont to do, <laughs> that's my answer. Just hosting away over here. You know, <laughs> you know what would be spicy is if I said Igor Samula, but I don't think that that's true. That's, that's not going to happen. That's, that's extra not gonna spicy. Happen. The number of that's things that would have to go wrong for that to be the case, I don't even <laughs> want to think about. Oh, my God. That's a good we would point. have a lot of really great content, though. Yeah, we'd have a lot of great content, and half of our listeners would be, have to be fucking committed. I don't know if they'd let us. <laughs> I don't know if they'd us. let people listen to this show in the nuthouse. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, so at, in the beginning of this episode, and this is the last thing on Myers, I want to get everyone's temperature on this. Um, in the beginning of this episode, Kelly started off saying, uh, I'm taking donations for a Phil Myers jersey that I won't buy with my own money. Flyers just put out a new jersey. We may talk about it at the end. We might not, depending on how much time we have. Uh, but people are looking like, okay, you always want to get the next cool jersey. Like, everyone who ha wants a Giroux jersey has a Giroux jersey. So... You want the next great one. How high up on the list should a Phil Myers be for potential Jersey buyers, do you think? First of all, I can't believe I received not a single donation for a Phil Myers <laughs> You have jersey. to put your Venmo out there, and people one. will send you money. <laughs> um, I, I think that if you are the kind of person that wants a jersey of the next player that's going to be really good and you got the jersey first because you're super cool and smart yeah it's not a that's not a bad one to go with i think save your money for a provorov jersey if you don't have one already which you probably don't provorov is the, the defenseman that you're gonna want myers just i that fun have potential. a provorov jersey thank you very much Myers Myers is a cool pick though because yeah. I, I agree I agree with Kelly that he is kind of that like hipster pick uh -huh. where it's like I'm picking this guy because you know I think he's going to be really good and I'll and he's not like like the obvious look if you're a casual Flyers fan and you want to buy a Flyers jersey buy Carter Hart like, well, that's yeah the Carter Hart yeah that, it's the no brainer yeah but like, people are really weird about Goldie jerseys yeah well get used to it he's going to be I can't great. do it. Get used to it. Um, like that—that's the no-brainer. Like he's awesome, and he's not going anywhere. But like Myers is a cool choice because I don't think he's going anywhere either. Like, like to me, like 
if I was still a fan, the jersey that I would like want and not a writer, like the jersey I would want to get would be Joel Farabee. But the concern with Farabee is like I could plausibly see them trading him. Yeah. Not because they don't like him, but because like if a Johnny Goudreau is out there, I could see them being like, well, you know, Joel Farabee might be as good as Johnny Goudreau one day, but Johnny Goudreau is Johnny Goudreau. So here's Joel Farabee. I don't think they're going to trade Phil Myers because they know how rare a Phil Myers is. Mm -hmm. So I feel like he's a safe pick and the upside's there. The only concern about a Phil Myers jersey is like maybe in three years he's Braden Coburn. I was just going to say Braden Coburn. Yeah, like which is good, but like there's going to be people that fucking hate him. No, like so remember, <laughs> remember, remember when we first got Coburn and like all of a sudden they taught him a one timer and it was like, holy shit, we got a stud. And like <laughs> that lasted a week and a half or whatever. Like, film from like, honestly, I just got I just bought the uh, the reverse retro and I got Oscar Limblom, but it was that between Limblom and Myers. We are a fickle bunch, aren't we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> Fucking Limblom. I. My next jersey will probably be a Travis Konechny. I like it. But it's not going to be the reverse retro jerseys because I think they're bad. The, Steph, the white. The, the, the white sleeve is like, you could have made it better without it, but it's not. I mean, it didn't stop me. I bought it. So whatever. But I like bad things. Like, you know this. I like things that <laughs> are bad. very true. <laughs> you don't say. Bad things happen in Philly, and I love it. Uh, <laughs> Steph, that was a uh, that was a, a great segue to uh, to uh, Jesus Travis Konechny. I forget your segue was so good it baffled me. Uh, with Travis Konechny, <laughs> I said on this I said on this show a year ago, the last guy on this team I'm going to complain about right now is Travis Konechny. Oh, how the well, mighty well. have fallen! <laughs> <laughs> I still think Travis Konechny is very good, but like after those playoffs, like man. Wow. I was calling him Leave one of the two alone. best players on the team. I mean, I I am, like, with you on that, except the thing that I hesitate with. Like, if it was just Travis Konechny that died in the playoffs, I might be like, what the hell is going okay. on there? But considering that literally none of them could score, um, I've decided that it's more of a systematic problem than a player performance problem. Um obviously it's both but I'm not worried I, I mean I don't expect Travis Konechny to be the top scorer on the team every single year I think that's silly I, next year I don't expect that he will be um but I don't think that we have to like worry about Travis Konechny who do you think will be uh guess what it's you I don't know <laughs> I don't I don't know I just don't in my head it seems very unlikely Joel Farabee there you go that I just don't nice. I, I just don't think that he's gonna be the leading scorer on the team. I don't think that anybody expected him to be this year. It was kind of like, oh, okay, that's happening. I just don't – it doesn't seem like a thing that's going to happen consistently. Maybe I think I'm, he's got to he's gotta be top two or three. Oh, yeah, I think he'll score a lot. But I'm just saying that, like, you know, if, if next year he's the third or fourth highest scorer on the team, are we going to get super pissy about it and be like, oh, he sucks now? Probably. Um, by we, I mean fans. I mean, you've met us, right? Yeah, so, like, I don't – I don't know, but I don't, I'm, I'm not worried about him, is what I was trying to say with, like, way too many words. I'm also not worried about Travis Konechny, but I think the type of player that he is, he's got to be top three minimum scorer for the team. Yeah. If, if he's going to be successful. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think he will be. Truthfully, I, I think he yeah. will be. Because the, the biggest thing for him for years was that he just didn't get 
the power play time. He was on the second unit, which was one of the worst second units in hockey. Well, now it seems like he's on the first unit. And he's getting, you know, first and second line minutes of five on five. He's getting the ice time to score. And I really do think that his playoff performance is going to be remembered as an aberration. Like, I just, I just feel like it was a perfect storm of suck and <laughs> it's not going to happen again. Like, I just, I'm not that worried. It, I, and it's part of it's just his personality. Like, I just think that he's the kind of guy that he's such a relentless player that he's not going to let that face him. He's going to use that as like fuel to make him even better. He's not going to wallow in it. That, and then maybe I'm wrong, but that's sort of my view of him. That feels right. So, like, thinking about, we had, we had, you know, we always have strong opinions on all these players, but try to think, like, put yourself back to where you were at this point last year. Who, coming into this next season, do you think has the most to prove, like, based on previous expectations? Joel Farabee. I, I, I think that he really does. I mean, he didn't have a bad rookie season, but it wasn't what we were expecting from him. And I think that he's got a lot to prove coming into his sophomore season. I I mean, look, I, I'm, I'll, I'll defend Joel Farabee here. Listen, he I love the kid. I'm not, yeah. I'm not talking shit. No, I mean, he basically had Travis Konechny's rookie year. Yeah. Like, That's that fair, was, but I that think that we also had. said Travis Konechny needed to have a bigger sophomore yeah. season. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So I, I guess the question I'll, I'll toss back to you, though, who has the most to prove like, are we talking about young pieces, or are we just talk, are we talking about anyone? Anyone. Because to me, I think the guy who has the most to prove is James Van Riemsdyk. Mm. Ooh, that's a good answer. Very good. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to say mine, because mine was dumb, so it's, it's very obvious. Oh, Nolan Patrick's no. the other one. Oh. <laughs> what was yours, though? I was like, I, I mine was like in a, a different interpretation of the question, and I wanted to say Oscar Lindblom, not because it's fair, but because if he is what he was before the diagnosis, then like a lot of problems can work themselves out with this team. I'm kind of glad you didn't say that because I would have punched you through the no, computer. Like, it's before it's not you like I'm saying your explanation. Like, it, it's not a like negative. Oh, he's got to prove something. It's like. If he's able to get back to that level, this team is excellent. I get that. I'm just saying I still would have punched you. That's the computer. fair. I'll take it. I just bought his jersey. Okay. Yeah, it, it's funny. Like, I was, I was having a conversation with somebody a couple days ago. Um, somebody, like, in, in the Flyers organization, basically. And, um, and the, the point that was made was that, like, the biggest issues they thought that the Flyers had in the playoffs were they didn't have a playmaking third-line center and they didn't have someone, a forward, who was consistently able to get to the dirty areas and score goals. And it just kind of hits you. It's like, well, the frustrating part about that is they have those guys. They just couldn't play. Like, you have Nolan Patrick and you have Oscar Lindblom. They just couldn't play. And that's like, God, then you're just like, shit, what if... What if they both could have just played last year? And Oscar Lindblom didn't have cancer, and Nolan Patrick didn't have a migraine disorder, and we got that whole team all year. Oh. Now I'm angry. And then there wasn't a COVID interruption, and then yes. we win the cup. Without question. Honestly, we would have won the cup. With the two of them playing to the best of their capabilities, fuck, man. Then Morgan Frost just shows up, like, hey, guys, what's up? 
<laughs> and he's great, and everything's jolly. All right, so um, and Meniskanen doesn't retire. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask a, a JVR related question before we move yeah. on? Yeah. Because I see a lot of this on the Twitter.com. Um, if the top two lines are good, and the team is performing well, and JVR doesn't look like garbage on the third line. Is there inherently a problem with the fact that JVR is on the third line? Because for me, there absolutely no. is not. No, there's not. No. That's, I mean, that's, I, that's the role he played in Toronto yeah. that got him this contract in the first place. I just see a lot of, I can't believe you have a guy that makes that much money on your third line. Like, it's a problem to have talent on your third line. And I just I was curious. When, when he signed. Who gives a shit? Yeah, know, it's I'm not my money. I don't care. Score <laughs> 36 goals. Do it on the fucking fourth line. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Like, play defense. Whatever. Like, <laughs> why do I care where he is in the lineup? Score goals. Put him in Just fucking wondering. net. Like, no, like, no, it's, I, I hear that a lot too, but I always thought, like, when he signed, ideally, you have a good, solid, two-way top six, and on the third line is JVR, and he's on your top power play unit. That's what I wanted when they signed him. All right, yeah. we're at... We're at like an hour now, but I just had a couple of questions. We talked a lot about Jake Voracek on that uh, on this show one year ago, and uh, like it's funny how it all kind of turned out because on the show I was like JVR will get it going, G will get it going, Jake is my biggest concern. Um, just one a year later, how do we feel about like the three remaining 2012 leftovers? I know you know JVR came and went back, but like just you know. How do we feel about those three and how they're going to look like comparatively in this upcoming season? I'm not Which, worried about Giroux or Voracek. I'm definitely not worried about Giroux. Who has the biggest year of the three? Giroux. Yeah, yeah I think Giroux does. I think so too. Because I, I think they know that they can't... Um, they can't... <laughs> It's hard because like there, I, there's an you can envision a scenario where they have to use him at center again yep. because Patrick can't play and Frost isn't ready, and then Drew's numbers aren't going to look great because he's not a great center anymore. But I think they realize that like ideally he's on a line with Couturier when he'll be fine, and I think they realize that ideally he's on the left side of the power play where he should be fine, and as long as they do that, he should be at least a 65 point guy okay. in an 82 game season. I mean, I don't know how many games they're actually going to have, but like let's say that pace. And if that's the case, like, I don't know if any of those other guys can do that. You know what I mean? I don't know if Jay can still do that. He's more of, like, a 55, 60-point guy, maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe he scores 70. Like, you never friggin' know. And then JBR You never know with Jake. 30. Yeah, and then JBR could score 30. Like, you just, you just don't know. Drew is the safe bet because I think he's the best player of the three. Mm-hmm. I was going to, and this will come to a shock, as a shock to some, I was going to say Jake. Like, we were talking on this show uh, a year ago about Jake and how, like, he didn't look good. He had four goals and 12 points in his first 17 games, but that's inflated by a pair of three-point games. That means in 15 of those 17, he had six fucking points. And we were like, okay, is he just adjusting to his new life as not one of the two best players on the team? He's obviously just adjusting to a new coach who's called him out a couple times already. And it all worked out. Jake ended up leading the team in assists. He had a very good year, and he was the only guy who fucking showed up for large portions of the playoffs. Um, but it led me to this next question, and this is what we'll wrap up with. Right now, who are the two best players on the Philadelphia Flyers? 
Well, Sean Couturier is one. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So it's really a question of who's the second best player on the team. Mm -hmm. Giroux, Hart, Proverov. Are those our options? Hayes? Uh, well, that's the thing. Hayes. Like, are we, are we talking? I don't know. There's a lot of things that best could mean. Yeah. Best. Like, are we talking about, like, most valuable? Or are we talking about, like, literally best on paper by the numbers? Because, I mean, obviously, Carter Hart is the most important piece of that puzzle. Um, but is, I mean, could you say that like performance wise, just with numbers in a vacuum, he was the best player on the flyers. I don't think so. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to say it's Couturier and Hart. All right. I respect it. I wasn't sure whether I was going to, but <laughs> I did. I'm doing it. That was my answer. And now I'm waffling with Giroux a little still. I mean, if, if we're going like, and then if you throw historically into it, obviously it's Drew. No, I, I'm not, obviously, if you throw history, like, I'm just saying, like, when we're halfway through next season, who are, like, the two best players, who are, who are the two guys who, the reason it is the Flyers are in first place? It's definitely going to be Couturier, and it's definitely yeah. going to be Carter Hart. I okay. mean, there's, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, the big thing with Hart is there is some projection there because, yeah, yeah. like, he was good last year. He wasn't incredible. You but leave I my think, baby boy alone. But I think we're all expecting that he's going to take another step forward next mm -hmm. year, and if he does, then presumably he would be the second-best player on the team, if not the best player on the team, if he takes a gigantic step forward, um, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility because he's still young and he had a great postseason and he very well could, you know, absolutely explode next season. Um, we also know development isn't an escalator. Like he exactly. could be worse like he, next year, yeah, he could have a and bad then year. be a like, superstar he, the year after. Like anything, yeah, you never possible. know. Especially goalies. I mean, goalies are so fickle from year to year. So I think the the way you position that is like, if the Flyers are really good, who are the two best players in the team next year? I think that's correct. Mm -hmm. I think the answer is Couturier and Hart. Drew's tough because I still think he's very good. But I also think he's at the point in his career where he's – I don't know if he's a guy who can carry a line. Mm. Like, not that he can't – like, if you, if you tell Drew to carry a line, that line will be good. But it won't be great. It'll be a good line. But it won't be a great line. He's not great unless he's with Couturier at this stage of his career. And I don't know if I can say a guy who is dependent upon another player to be elite – can truly be considered one of the two best players on a team. And that's kind of my issue with Provorov, too, is, like, I think he benefited a lot from Niskanen, so can I say that he's one of the two best players in the team when I think a lot of his great season was due to having a stable partner? I don't know. That said, I think Provorov could take a big step forward next year and make that problem, not even a problem, but, like, make that caveat no longer yeah, a caveat. check that box. Yeah, and then he is one of the two best players in the team. The thing with Hart is that Hart isn't dependent upon anybody. Hart's just Hart. Mm. Like, he's the goalie. He's not dependent upon, I guess he's dependent upon the defense, the team defense to a degree. But, like, he's not dependent on a line mate. You stop the puck or you don't. And he stops the puck a lot. 50-50. It's, I'm, I'm struggling with Giroux because, like, in my mind, okay, make a list of all the best players at each position like, who is, obviously, like, Couturier's the top, would be, you know, right up at the top of a, a list of centers. But, like, 
Giroux, is he higher on a list of left-wingers than Provorov is of defensemen? Like, yeah, right? So, uh, is Hart, uh, as a goalie, higher than G? I don't know. So I'm kind of thinking G, but the answer to my question is, if they are really good next year, halfway through the year they're in first place, it's, it's Couturier and Hart are the two mm-hmm. best players. I think we solved that one. Good job, team. All right. I'm, gl- I'm glad we good, worked that one work, out. team. <laughs> Uh, you want to hear Before, something depressing? Uh, what's go ahead. go ahead. Go. You want to hear something depressing? Uh, we cl- on this we clearly ep- do, so go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> on this episode last year, we were starting to plug Festivus. Oh. oh. That really bummed me out, so I had to share it. Yikes. I'm yeah. so bummed we can't have our Festivus party this year. I still may try and figure out some type of canned food, something. I don't know. It sucks. This all sucks. It does. But reminder that if you buy the shirt, the money goes into a pot, and we're going to throw a giant party, I'm assuming, as soon as we're able to do so. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, so go buy a blue-collar hockey thing t-shirt, because it does go into a pot, and we will be throwing a party as soon as we're able. Yeah, and and you know what? Just to make sure we don't end the show on a total down note. (laughs) Yeah, my bad. Like, everything, everything does suck. And it's bad, but like they have vaccines. They're coming. There yep. is a light at the there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We will be able to do fun things at some point in the like not super distant future. And that should be something we should all hang on to even as this winter fucking sucks. Yeah. Yes, Charles, that's a great point. And like- um so I've got I've got another note that's definitely a downer. It sucks. Oh, oh god damn it. Um Brian I tried, Page. Steph. I'm sorry, Brian Page is a player for the under-18 AAA Philadelphia Little Flyers team. Uh, Took a hit at the blue line earlier this week, was taken to the hospital, airlifted to Jefferson. Um, He broke his C5 and C6 vertebrae along with damaging his spinal cord. Doctors don't think that he's going to be able to walk again, Um, but they are. There is a GoFundMe collecting money. Um... It's been shared pretty much everywhere. I know all of the the big Flyers players are sharing it on Instagram. Um, I'll share it again from my personal page and from Broad Street Hockey. Uh, But this is, you know, a a baby um... baby Flyer. So I I know that there's a lot of people making donations. If you are able to, that would be cool because this kid is is probably going to be paralyzed. Maybe we can link that in the uh, in the article that this episode is in. Yeah. Okay. Yep, we'll cool. Do that. Like I have I have personal experience with this sort of thing uh, in my family, and the the costs are fucking astronomical. I can't even cannot even imagine. Um, Jesus. Yeah. So let's spread that around. Let's try to make it a little easier for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. As I was scrolling through just the names of people that have uh, donated, which is probably not a good thing to do, but I just wanted to to see uh, Mrs. Brizgalov, uh, Ian LaPerriere, um, uh, Paul Holmgren. Like people are people are really pulling for this That's kid. Nice. So we are too, absolutely. Um, and I'll share that link so everyone can can support him in a really shitty time for everyone, but extra shitty for him. No, I mean we we talk a lot about um, even on the show about like the issues with like kind of 
everything like the flyers only hire old flyers and all that other crap but like this is kind of one of those things where yep. like you see the good aspect mm -hmm. of the yeah. flyers family like i i think everybody is really rallying around this kid and yep. it's it's good it's 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 obviously a terrible thing that happened to him and i hope he knows that the the entire flyers community is behind him now, yeah, so let's let's rally. Let's let's help make this thing happen. Uh, let's let's help out there. Um, let's because that was Jesus. Uh, that sucks. We're doing um, this. Yeah. So uh, Kelly said at the top of the show, the long winter nights are harder without hockey. How's everybody coping? Just recommend something good. Something good. The new season of The Queen is out on Netflix. If you like that kind of thing. I do like that kind of thing, but I haven't watched it. Um, I'm <laughs> nobody's going to be interested in what I'm doing. I'm learning about uh, 15th and 16th century America before before the Revolutionary War. That's cool. People love to know what we're doing with our time. It's it's actually something they are interested in, Steph. They like to know the eclectic nonsense we're into. I really... So I know a lot about 15th and 16th century Europe. Uh, and when I went to North Carolina, I actually went to Roanoke Island. Not Roanoke, Virginia, but Roanoke Island, which is in North Carolina. It was the first colony. It's also called the Lost the lost Colony because the people just... Right, it just disappeared. disappeared? Yeah, it's yeah, a fascinating it, story. I remember reading about that in like yeah. fifth grade. It's it's fascinating. But what I learned, like it's if if you read the clues and actually the story, like it's very obvious what happened to them and where they went. But um, spoiler alert. I learned that I know absolutely nothing about America in the very early days. Like when was happening during the medieval ages and the Middle Ages over in Europe I have no idea what was happening here. And there's a lot of really interesting history before the Pilgrims and before Jamestown. So that's what I'm learning about. Everyone knows I'm just watching a just sickening amount of professional wrestling. <laughs> so we, won't, we don't have to get into that. Uh, Charlie, I saw you tweet the other night that you've come across like 18 perfect albums or something. Recommend something that I would be into. Um, Fuck everyone else, into? just me. Yeah, well, I, I already recommended you the Jeff Rosenstock album. Which yeah, that was great. Yeah, I, I kind of knew that you would really, really like that. I'm trying to think what else what else have I liked this year that you would like? Because um, I only like, like, three bands, so. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know if there's any others that, like, because I, I feel like I, I know my friend's musical taste so well that, like, if there's something I come across that I think they're going to like, I want to immediately recommend. You might like the, uh, the Teenage Halloween album. That was good. I like the name. I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that like a perfect album, um, but it's got some good songs. It's like a good like punk album. It's fun. All right. I'll check it out. All right. Uh, anything else before we wrap it up? And that is all. Uh, what, Steph? I just said no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can't hear. Like, first of all, I'm just deaf. Like, I finally have health insurance for the first time in six years. Going to get like everything. Cannot wait. I think like my voice is going to change when I go to the ear, nose, and throat, and I'll be able to hear, and I'll be living in like a whole new world. Stunning. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm very excited about ear, nose, and throat. Uh, 30s, yo. That is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio. Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, uh, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts, and boom, you get all sorts of content delivered to you all the time. So check that out. Uh, for Kelly, for Charlie, for Steph, I'm Bill. Have a great week, everybody. 
Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah! 